0: Welcome to Kurosawa Worth Watching, where we're watching a classic Kurosawa film that inspired a genre, and then the films that were inspired by it to see how they compare. Today, we're kicking this off with an introduction to Kurosawa with Peter Tasker, the author of On Kurosawa. Hello, guy. Hello, Ron. So, we'll be right up front. We have completed this this interview, Hmm. uh, which is a really, really great discussion, so I... If someone is uh, considering turning us off now I, I recommend they keep listening. It's worth it
1: yeah it was uh, it was interesting enough that I didn't run my mouth much so that was good.
0: <laughs> well, so you haven't really seen any Kurosawa films ha- after that discussion what's your feeling there
1: oh i'm I'm looking forward to to checking some of them out uh you know i over the years i've seen little you know photographs and clips and stuff from the movies uh but I didn't know a great deal about them. I knew they were at least the the ones I had heard of. Uh, they were in black and white, and they dealt with samurai. And that was about <laughs> all I knew about that. I, I, I did also know uh, I had heard about the one movie that's told from different viewpoints, and you know, I, there there's one that's like an adaptation of King Lear. You know, and we discussed both of those in the in the interview. But, yeah, uh, you know, little details like that. But I've never, never seen one that I can recall. Uh, and they sound like the kind of movies that I would, uh, would recall seeing them if I had.
0: <laughs> I'm guessing you'll like them, but uh, we shall see. Yeah. I've seen about half of his films. And, and as I mentioned in the interview, I did a little project starting from the beginning, which I need to pick back up again. We talk about all the rest in the interview, and it's really fascinating. So let's just get to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And joining us now is Peter Tasker, author of On Kurosawa. Hello, Peter. Hello there, Ron. How how are you today? Good. and really excited about this topic. Uh, We've been thinking about doing this for a long time, and I was really happy to find uh, someone who was willing to come and talk to us about this. Could you give us an elevator summary of your career and books and how you got to Japan? I know there's a lot to fit into
2: an elevator summary. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's... uh... It's been a, 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 really a series of coincidences, I guess. And uh, as it happens, Kurosawa, Akira Kurosawa and his films are to some extent responsible for me spending the larger part of my life in, in Japan. I did have the opportunity to go to Japan many moons ago, and I didn't know anything about it at all, except that I had seen uh, The Seven Samurai. And I thought, that's a bit special. It's a bit different from all the other films I've seen. It it was um, uh, very, very memorable. So I took that and I thought, yeah, I'll go out there uh, for a while and um, see what happens. Uh, uh, I did go out there and that while uh, ended up being uh, kind of permanent. (laughs) Well, Basically, uh, Kurosawa is to blame for my... um, Long residency in Japan. And uh, what I do actually uh, is um, I work in uh, corporate research, analyzing Japanese companies. Mm. I write about like the yen and that sort of thing, what's happening to the yen. But I also write about Yakuza movies and mm. other things, mm. cultural stuff that, that I like a lot. Uh, so I'm coming to uh, Kurosawa and his films basically from a uh, Japanese culture background. That's uh, very much the, the sort of, right I see the, the history uh, and I see the kind of cultural elements in his films right from the start. And they, I found them very, very um, attractive for, for that reason. There mm-hmm. was something there right from the start that was different. So... Uh, I thought, well, yep, I'm up for that. And uh, I showed up in Japan, and I'm still there. Wow, that's really interesting. Mm.
0: I had the opportunity to do spend about a week doing some teaching in Tokyo a few years ago. And you mentioned the Yakuza, and, I, and it's, it's probably interesting part of our discussion. I, I really didn't understand until that trip how much that does seem to be a part of the culture. Uh, one of my colleagues is a woman who had uh, tattoo sleeves on her arms, And they kicked her out of the gym because of that being a symbol of Yakuza. And I I just was really surprised at how present that is. And can you describe, like, what what is, you know, the the Yakuza in in Japanese culture at this point in time?
2: Well, it is changing because they have tried to kind of control the uh, Yakuza in a more legal way. And that has has actually led to um, some unfortunate consequences, in my view, because now we've got a lot more street crime as a result of that. But, uh, yeah, the Yakuza go back probably centuries. There are many kinds of Yakuza. They control the businesses that people want, but they're they're illegal. You know, the same thing (laughs) as Mm -hmm. in other countries. They have... Same cachet, I suppose, as uh, gangsters in in the US, but there's also that kind of tribal element to it, uh, which is more you know more like the uh, the area uh, you would identify with Italy, uh, Sicily, and all that, you know going back a long mm-hmm. way, deep, deep roots uh, and all that. Yeah, they—they are—they're a thing. They—they they have always have been, and will probably remain that way. Interesting. So you're you're sort of saying that they,
0: I guess, kind of like the mob was supposed to have done. They kind of provided a structure for crime, so that it wasn't quite as random.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So you know, th- there's there's very little street crime uh, in Japan because has been anyway. The areas that uh, the uh, the yakuza control are very very safe. <laughs> Unless you're, you know, another Yafka yeah, from a different gang, then it's not so safe for you. But uh, oh, right. oh, so they, they, you know, they, they, they they're, they're, um, want to make money, and um, they don't want trouble. You know, they, they want, they want mm-hmm. to be allowed to do their stuff, and so they've had sort of certain agreements, um, sort of unspoken agreements with the cops uh, and the larger society that. You know, you you can do, you can do this if you know if, as long as it's not uh, too obvious. We don't want a lot of sort of drug-addled people running around the city. But if you know, if you keep it all, uh, you know, nice and tidy, no problem. Right. So right. that's basically mm. how, how it's gone down so far. As I said, they suddenly they, they, they ten years ago they started trying to clean it up a bit. Previously they actually filed themselves as belonging to Yakuza outfits with the police saying, you know, I'm a Yakuza. Then uh, they'd done that for a long time. And so police knew where the Yakuza were. And, you know, they wanted to ask some questions. So they, they just did it. Uh, but now it's a bit more troubled, the relationship. And many of the, you know, the bad guys are not in Yakuza gangs now, or they kind of um, are half Fiakas yeah, are half in and half out because mm. they don't want to file with with mm. the police now because it's more trouble interesting
0: yeah mm. and I think in the u s it would be a bizarre concept for, people to, for mobsters to be filing with the government uh, I know guy is a big time video <laughs> game player, I think you've played like all these Yakuza games right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've played uh it's, I think in Japan it's the series is called Like a Dragon, but uh yeah, they're just a uh, a series of video games where you play a uh yakuza who's a a good guy basically. He's sort of uh he grew up and you know raised by a yakuza boss. So so he's also in the organization, but uh, anyway, they're fun games and what's wonderful about them is that they Teach you a good deal about Japanese culture, which for someone like me who has virtually no exposure to it, uh, it was really uh, interesting and educational to play these games.
2: Good, good. And, there is a, a Kurosawa game as well, I'm told.
1: Hmm, interesting. <laughs> I should look into yeah. that. Kurosawa video yeah. game.
0: Okay. And I, I want to tie this into to Samurai and all that, but before we get there, I wanted to talk about your book. One thing that really bothers me in biographies, usually when I pick them up and I just hate it is, you know, there's someone I'm really interested in and I open up the biography and page one is his great grandparents, you know, 300 years ago moved from here to here and we're in the mining industry and now, and I'm like, oh God, it's gonna be 50, 100 pages before I get to the stuff I actually care about. And your book is structured completely differently. Every time you turn the page, you don't know what you're going to get. It might be a poem. It might be a short story. It might be a more traditional discussion of the history of some aspect of Kurosawa and photographs, too. Oh, yeah, and just a beautiful production, yeah. by the way. Yeah,
2: yeah well, th- thank you for that. Yeah, we put a lot of effort into um, getting the permissions for all those visuals, which was, uh, you know, quite a tricky in itself. Oh, sure. Yeah, so I thought I would like to do something a little bit different. And there's a a sort of genre of writing in Japan called zuihitsu, which means follow the pen. And it's kind of random writing around a subject. And you can put in some poems or or you can put in some stories. You can put in some facts and then, you know, it goes back actually basically a thousand years ago when the, the court ladies were writing about their love affairs and so forth it's really a, a genre that is uh, very well established in japan but is elsewhere people say, well what is it what, what is this exactly are you writing about is it a biography of uh, of kurosawa what, what what is it exactly well it's my impressions of what kurosawa means to me and hopefully uh, to other people who read the book And uh, so, of course, I did uh, quite a lot of research to get my facts straight about Kurosawa. He's a fascinating individual in himself. He he would be a great subject for a film himself. I wanted also to use some sort of creative license and sort of get my flavor of the films as if I was actually in the films.
0: It also, it feels to me like it invites exploration by the reader because uh, because you're not just going to tell them everything about Rashomon or everything you know the way we kind of learn to expect from these sorts of books you're sort of teasing someone to go and and watch it you know and, and understand yeah. what it is
2: yeah well in fact, thanks that's exactly what my purpose was I don't tell the story and I rarely say whether I think what's wrong with this film or something like that, but i pick up on something that to me is very meaningful about the film and is, gets to its essence. That can be uh, something small and marginal, or, or it can be a big thing, a big scene. The thing about the films of Kurosawa, there's 30 films that he did, and there are some others that have been made from his screenplays, some when he was alive and some after he passed away. And uh, so I tried to, collect some of the obscurities as well because I like obscurities there is so much in his life that is interesting and so much in the films you know even some of the what you might call the minor or less well rated films things like Dodeska Den Scandal these films that are a bit flawed they don't really gel like his masterpieces do Nonetheless, they do have some very interesting scenes and very inter- interesting characters in them. Pretty much all his films, there's hardly, there's no film of Kurosawa's that to me is devoid of interest. They all have got something in there somewhere that makes me sit up and think, oh, well, you know, that's interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. I had started watching them chronologically. I've gotten through about 10. And what I thought was incredible in that first 10 films, and it's almost just an accident of history, right, is you are getting this pre-war, during the war, post-war image of Japan as it was happening. And, you know, The Most Beautiful is an amazing portrayal of, you know, it's supposed to be a propaganda film, but it's, it's, it's really a history to me. I mean, it, it, Guy, this is a film about um, young women making lenses for the fighter planes. And it was explicitly a propaganda film, right? I thought you listed the credits uh, there, and it's like, fight the enemy, it starts out with. Right? <laughs> but it had a lot of touching stuff in it, and it had, I thought, the interesting thing of this woman realizes she's made a mistake with a lens and she's having nightmares about a, a fighter pilot going down in flames because her lens was bad and the level of they needed and everything. So anyway, just, but then you go to Stray Dog, which I do think is an incredible film and that is about a guy that's a policeman loses his gun and you know guns were very very I mean to this day right are are pretty much non-existent I think in Japan so for a policeman to lose a gun was a huge mm-hmm. deal and the film is him trying to track down and find the gun in the process he's huh. literally walking around post-war Japan, like the markets and stuff, they just went and walked and filmed, right? It wasn't sets or set up or anything, and you just get to see this. You know, it'll there's no there'd be no way to reproduce it, right? Uh, and I think it's really interesting. So I'm going on kind of a monologue here, but hmm. any thoughts about all that? <laughs>
2: no, no, no. Well, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It's really, you can't call it a coincidence, but Kurosawa's light it corresponds with really the start of, of of the cinema itself and of course a tremendously dramatic series of, of real life events particularly the war but then the aftermath of the war and the, the, the wholesale change in culture that took place then and so this this is a a huge thing to to, to digest And I think this is one of the things we maybe can talk about a bit later, but why uh, Kurosawa has meant a lot to certain kinds of people is because he has been through that ordeal. It's It's also a kind of spiritual ordeal, which he confesses that he failed because he never resisted. Like most Japanese, he didn't resist the militarism, the militarist takeover, and he sort of went along with it, and he he blames himself for it, and he blames everyone else, uh, too, because everybody went along with it, more or less. That whole thing about what are your values, it suddenly becomes very important, and that's a, a very important part of Kurosawa's films, particularly in the 40s and 50s, and Ikiru as well is another example of that. It's indirectly saying, well, why are you on this planet? What are you going to do? And the answer is, well, there are things that you can do that can make a difference, but don't expect anybody to praise you for it, but they probably won't even notice. Or if they do notice, they'll take the credit themselves, because he's pretty <laughs> cynical about the way these things go down in the end. So there is that kind of weight in Kurosawa, I think, He's talking about real, you know, real things, very important things, and particularly in countries which are troubled through one one way or another. And a lot is still at stake. You know, places where you can get thrown in jail for saying something wrong, or you may be in a position to save someone's life, or you may have to protect your family against something awful. That kind of thing is not just something, a news item. It's something that could happen to you and does happen on a daily basis. In those countries, Kurosawa is still extremely popular. Maybe the, the country where Kurosawa today is less popular is actually, ironically, Japan. Hmm. Because mm-hmm. Japan is a pretty peaceful place. Nothing much happens in terms of putting a life at stake or being put in real danger, or having to make a decision that could cost you a lot in order to help somebody who may not even know what you've done. All that kind of thing, that's there in the, these early films in the 50s and the 60s, because he, he'd been through that, his 20th century, Japan's 20th century, ending in massive destruction. Well, not, not the century injuring, but the the, the the war ending in almost irretrievable destruction, Japan being pounded in, into um, ashes. How did that happen? Why did we let that happen? That is there in his consciousness. And as I said, he also grew up with the cinema and particularly in that period from... 1930 up to 1960 until TV really took off, it was the major form of entertainment for people. And it was entertaining. It had to be entertaining. But it was also intelligent in the sense that a good novel or a great novel uh, is is intelligent. So that was where he was coming from. Of course, when TV appeared, he had to start it. Some sort of change his act a little bit and make things a bit different that is to my mind is you know one of the things about kurosawa there's this weight that you feel he's, he's deeply serious but at the same time he wants to entertain you he doesn't want to bore you it's got to be entertaining
0: so you know that first dozen films or so i feel like if he if he sort of stopped there, he would be a, you know, well-known Japanese director, sort of like Ozu in the West, right? Like filmmakers know him and film lovers know him, but not, you know, not something the average person on the street would be aware of. But after that, those films, we start to get into the 60s, he or late 50s, I guess. He starts introducing his version of the samurai, and this impacts world culture, certainly Western culture, and is why we all know who he is. Can you talk about kind of the history of samurai in Japan and what and did did it exist at his time or was he really creating this you know bringing back
2: this historical thing? Well, those are great questions, and um, yeah, to put it in a nutshell, yes, he created the samurai. <laughs> I would say, of course, there were samurai, but in Japanese history. The period between 1600 and 1860, Japan was kind of um, hidden away from the rest of the world, uh, secluded in a sense. Uh, foreigners were not supposed to come into Japan, and it was it was uh, impossible for the Japanese to travel outside safely. It was illegal. That was a period when Japan was very very stable. The uh, samurai are a class. They are the servants. They serve their feudal lord. They must do what he says. If he says you must kill yourself and commit harikidi, you got to do it. And in fact, that was considered to be a great honor uh, for you to, to do that If if you were asked to do it. The samurai in that period... They had no agency. They couldn't decide things for themselves. They were basically in a world in which there was peace. There was no fighting going on. And they were becoming a kind of bureaucrats who ran a feudal system in certain parts of the country. Now, what Kurosawa's uh, samurai are uh, completely different from that, because they come from an era before that, which is called the Warring States period, and that was before Japan was united, and there were a lot of warlords competing, and there was a lot of chaos, a lot of fighting. And there were many samurai who uh, did not have an allegiance any longer to a feudal lord, and Kurosawa's samurai are all ronin. Ronin means a wandering samurai, basically. He hasn't got a feudal lord. He has complete agency, he can do what he wants. On the other hand, he's got nobody to feed him, as if if you belong to a feudal domain, then you get food and status and all that. The wandering samurai of Kurosawa films It's a bit like the gunslingers in Western movies. Mm. Were they gunslingers? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Wyatt Earp was a real person. Billy the Kid is a real person. But were they like they were Mm. in the films? Possibly not. It's a mythic world that's, that's been created for these mythic struggles. That's what Kurosawa has done particularly after the the Second World War, he's created a kind of Japanese figure who is a hero, is a genuine hero. He has agency. He does stuff on his own terms. Like the Seven Samurai, they just decide. Nobody says you've got to go and sort out these, uh, help these villagers. They do it themselves. Why not? Let's do it. So it's a kind of they're, they're kind of existential heroes who do what they want and don't hold their lives in great import. They're willing to die for a cause if they wish. Those kind of samurai hadn't been seen in Japan for hundreds and hundreds of years and uh, the ones that had been seen are more like the ones that you see in films like I don't know if you know this one samurai Rebellion, and there's another one called Harakiri. Both of those are by a great director, Masaaki Kobayashi, who's a friend of Kurosawa. But he's extremely critical of the samurai culture, samurai ethos of that period, which is the period of peace. And those two films that I mentioned are withering attacks on the behavior and the mores the way of thinking of a samurai in that era. So because Kurosawa samurai are totally different from that. They do what they want. And he basically created that kind of person, that kind of hero.
0: Did he sort of stumble into this or did he have a project in mind to actually kind of, you know, use this sort of, today we'd call it the connected universe or whatever, you know, several films using this sort of,
2: theme in them I don't think he did it in in, in the way you're suggesting in a, in a planned way but he just thought if you want to make a, a good film which is going to be suspenseful and a lot is at stake, you need these characters to have agency and to have a will of their own and they've got to be big characters so they can't just be the old, you know, the, the samurai type who just do what they're told. And you know, if, if the Lord says, "Okay, um, you know, you, you've got to atone for my mistakes, go and commit suicide," that's no good. That's not interesting. It doesn't make for a good film because it it doesn't have that human tension. What's at stake? What are you doing? Why are you taking this risk? Why did you choose to do it? So, I think it was. Basically, his sense of cinema and what makes drama that led him to that kind of character, which is, of course, a very interesting character. All the uh, the Mifune characters <laughs> they're associated very much with Mifune in the Kurosawa world. It's usually Mifune, but it's it's um, it makes for a very interesting drama. That's what brought him to it.
0: And I think it, it's hard to overstate the impact on that on culture. As I was mentioning earlier, I mean Clint Eastwood is basically our Mufune. Right? He became popular through the films that were based on. In fact, I didn't realize I was just reading in your book. I didn't realize Kurosawa had sued Sergio Leone that it was his film was so close.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think that Clint Eastwood did a great job though because he made it a little bit different. His. Character is a bit different from the Mifuno one, just the way he behaves. He's much more kind of sullen and uh, uh, sort of um, poker faced. Whereas uh, the, yeah, well, the Mifune character is, is, is rather different. But the story, it's exactly the same story. I mean, it's just, uh, Sergei Giolone just purloined the entire story. <laughs> but to be fair to him, he then went on to develop it, the uh, further ones that he produced were better in some ways so leone actually ran with that one and um you know did did do something quite remarkable with it but sure he simply stole the whole idea and a lot of the a lot of the, the, the kind of jokes a lot of the dialogue is just simply ripped
0: off the one that got me to think of this this theme of you know inspired by kurosawa was uh, i started watching hidden fortress and i I still haven't finished it i keep getting distracted but i knew that like oh there was some influence of hidden fortress on star wars i start watching it and it's kind of like what you're saying it's like no this isn't influence (laughs) star wars at least the beginning of star wars simply took this material, put different names on the characters, Uh, I was shocked uh, because you basically have, uh, you know, R2-D2 and C-3PO in the beginning of Hidden Fortress, you know. uh, uh, And, of course, that, uh, Star Wars has had such a huge impact. Do you think, I mean, did he appreciate that or was he annoyed by that? I mean, obviously, he he liked Lucas helping him out. but
2: Yeah, I don't really know about that, but... um... His his personal view, but they, you know, it is in outer space. Us, it, it is, it is a bit different. I think you could say, if you wanted to be generous, it, it's a tribute. It's not. It's like it's not like a tribute band doing the, doing the Rolling Stones or something. But it's you know, it's it, it's a tribute to the original. But uh, yeah, it, it, as we know that that generation of you know, very, very successful and excellent American directors were worshipping at the feet of Kurosawa. I think he loved the adulation and they helped him out big time um, when he was in, in in serious trouble financially. And, uh, you know, he showed his, his appreciation by making Martin Scorsese play Vincent van Gogh in um, the film dreams Uh, so you've got Vincent van Gogh with this New York accent but it it, it, it kind of works kind of
1: works
0: (laughs) another one we're going to watch is uh, Rashomon which I think also just in terms of like a story I, I know he took it from a couple of short stories but it basically didn't exist in culture before that and now there's so many films there's no TV show that doesn't ultimately do like a Rashomon episode you know, mm-hmm. of, of people, different interpretations of the same event. It's amazing to me that one director could have this many different impacts. Like we talk about Samurai, and that's a mm-hmm. part of Rashomon, but it, that's not why Rashomon was popular. It's because of the mm-hmm. concept.
2: Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And as you say, it 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 actually speaks to us that film in the sense that we you know we live in a world with you know m- many many competing narratives. And uh, we, you know, we, whatever we're doing, maybe maybe a corporate nag- narrative, a company may say, you know, we we got, we got to change a story here. We got to tell a different kind of story to our customers, or it could be a political mm-hmm. narrative. And there, there are all these competing narratives. We find it very hard to decide if there is any kind of absolute truth, or we we can even aspire to. Don't get too philosophical here, but Nietzsche, the German philosopher, said, there are no facts. There are only interpretations. That's Rashomon as well. And so, but I, I would say this, though. As you correctly say, uh, he took the story from a Japanese novelist, and it seems to have been a story that was uh, goes back a long way, even beyond that. But he added uh, a fourth narrative so there, there are four competing narratives as opposed to three in the original one. and the one that yeah he, ad, he added is more is more likely than the others in in my view i mean that that's if you see the film make your own mind up but mm-hmm. um, there are different narratives i think the the one that he added is one that's slightly more plausible than the the others. But that's all you can say. You can't say for sure that he puts before you all possibilities and make your own mind up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and don't forget to vote.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The other thing we will probably cover in this series are cases where Kurosawa was influenced. And Mm -hmm. I think most obviously with Macbeth and King Lear and Ron, he was bringing... Shakespeare into the Japanese culture or is that fair to say? Well, certainly he was giving a Japanese treatment to that, but was he kind of introducing Japan to Shakespeare, or was Shakespeare a presence?
2: I think Shakespeare was a was a presence, really. Yeah, from the early twentieth century. What's interesting is that um, Kurosawa had the a kind of daring to mess around quite a bit with the with the uh, story of King Lear and Macbeth in an interesting way particularly it's actually similar what he's done in both in in both of these cases ran is basically the king lear story and what he's done is to change the kind of spirit of the main character king lear in the shakespeare version is a kind of foolish old man who trustingly gives over all his lands to his daughters in Leah. In the Kurosawa scenario, it's the sons. But what's different is the character of the king, Hidetora, in Ran. He's a killer himself, and he's slaughtered innumerable people over the years. That gives you a totally different complexion on his fall, it's not as tragic. It's more like a cycle of revenge and death um, that just, just can't be stopped. That's the same in this, the throne of blood. In Macbeth, the king, Duncan, is an aged and saintly man. And that makes Macbeth's murder of him that much more shocking, but in the Throne of Blood version, King Duncan is a much younger man, and he's also a killer. He's killed the guy who was there before him. So Shakespeare was, a, was quite a conservative character in many ways after the long wars, civil wars that had happened in England. He wanted to set up a king as an outstanding figure who deserves not exactly religious piety, but certainly every kind of respect because of his status. And that was the way to to get stability in the society which had been racked by violence for so long. But Kurosawa, coming again from the Second World War and what that had done to Japan, had a different view. And he, he didn't see the leadership and kingship in the same light at at all. He basically sees just a, a cycle of death um, and killing and it's it's endless. So that is, uh, a, in a sense, a much bleaker view of society than Shakespeare allowed himself. But I, f- I find that fascinating because uh, Kurosawa is in some ways a kind of humanist in the, in the way he sees the world and moral choices and things like that. But he also is fully aware of the bleakness of the world and what people can get, get up to and powerful people can get up to and the struggles and the, the killing and, and all that stuff. So he's got that also that pessimism. There's a, there's a pessimism with Kurosawa, but it's matched by this thing that you can do something, you've got agency, you can do something worthwhile that will make a difference. But don't expect to be thanked. Nobody's going to mm. thank you. In fact, mm. they'll steal the credit. <laughs> and that's, that's the story of Ikiru as well. But, uh, but, it, but there's this bleakness, and a lot of people for, were a bit shocked by that when it came out ran which was the last major big production of Kurosawa's life but it was a it, it was exactly the same way back in Throne of Blood uh, in in the 50s so he's always had that streak of pessimism
0: mm-hmm. the thing that really mm-hmm. stood out for me with Throne of Blood when I first saw it um, aside from some of the visuals was you know his films are pretty male-dominated, not too many significant female characters than the ones that I've seen. But his version of Lady Macbeth, I thought, was brought that character to a perfection almost that Shakespeare couldn't, because combining the submissive Japanese woman with the being the person who's really running stuff behind the scenes, and I'm curious, does that reflect some kind of reality in Japan, uh, you know, or... You know, I'm am just curious what what that might reflect in the culture.
2: Yeah, that's hard. That's hard to say. I think the um, you're right uh, in the way the the woman manipulates the the, the Macbeth figure is remarkable, and um, she's a very powerful figure. And it's true that you know, uh, Kurosawa doesn't really um, there's not, there's not much sex or love uh, in Kurosawa's films. When you see women, they, uh, um, there are some powerful women like here. And in fact, the, the woman in, in Ran, uh, too, who's also um, staged this kind of um, revenge for her family's defeat and uh, massacre, at the hands of the the, the King Lear Ran character. So, um, yeah, as as to what it means in Japanese society, it's difficult to say. Um, there are very powerful women in society, and hi- historically so too. But it is still largely, if we're talking about the world of work and work of and the world of politics, it is still largely um, a male dominated society. I think this will change very, very quickly over the next 20 years because we already see younger women graduating from university in, in larger numbers than, than males now. So that will lead to significant changes over the long haul.
0: You, you've mentioned Akira a couple of times, or Kiru, a couple of times. I know um, you had wanted to talk a bit about that and a recent remake of that, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. I would say Ikiru is probably my favorite film of Kurosawa, right now anyway. Changes from, you know, week to week. (laughs) But uh, I would say that it's one that stays with me a long way. Uh, Because it's very much, as as I said, you know, it's about what are you doing on this planet? You know, are, are you just doing nothing? Like, That guy, Watanabe, the bureaucrat, low-level bureaucrat, shuffling paper in an office in a meaningless way, and he's been doing it for for years and years and years and years. So is that your life? Is there not something else beyond that uh, that you can make a mark? So that's the question that he asked in that film. The characters in the film are wonderful. He has a yakuza in the film, too, who... He's a professional uh, uh, kind of, Yaku says, he doesn't want to uh, waste his time on somebody who you cannot frighten. And you can't frighten the hero of Ikiru because he knows he's going to be dead in six months. So, you know, (laughs) he looks in his eyes and he sees this man, you can't frighten him. So you know, it's just a mm. tiny little scene, but it's it's so telling. But the the whole story of Ikiru, uh, I think, is um, you know, it's it's living, uh, living. It's a living film. It's called Liv- Ikiru means living in Japanese, but it's mm. a living film. Now it was made many many decades ago, but it's contemporary to me in the. The questions it asks. So I was a little bit disappointed with the the UK remake, though uh, Bill Nye is a much loved actor in in Britain, and he uh, uh, he was not has been nominated for, for an Oscar for for his performance. I mean, well, he, he he acts very well, but it, it's not to me. It's it, it doesn't carry the same freight as the original, not in a long way. Firstly, because they've set it way back in 1953. That, I think, is a mistake because then it makes it a a sort of period piece and you're looking at all the, uh, you know, the hats they're wearing and all that kind of thing. Whereas the whole thing is so vital and contemporary in the Kurosawa version, even though it all happened in 1953. So I feel that the remake, it to me it it highlighted what a great film the original is because it's not a character study it's about all of us whereas the Bill Nighy piece the way he acts it, it it's a, a very strange chap and it's a, it's it's a story about this very strange sad uh, chap and his experiences uh, and it's all rather sad whereas the way that it comes out in the Kurosawa original is it's about us all of us on this planet well I have not mm.
0: seen Akiru so you are definitely uh, inspiring me <laughs> to see it it's your favorite <laughs> one
2: I would say that the the night out in the Ginza looks a lot more fun than the the version in the the, the UK <laughs> in Brighton in the 50, early 50s right. mm.
0: Let's close out with actually, I mean, the big one that we we haven't really directly talked about uh, and that influenced probably more movies than any other, and that's Seven Samurai. We have a whole bunch of films we're going to watch that were inspired by it. Of course, The Magnificent Seven came right off of it, and and that was the case where they paid him, right? So they weren't just ripping him off. Sure. One of the things you really point out in your book is that both he and the screenwriter knew that this was the best work that they would ever do. And I'm kind of curious how that impacted his career
2: well it's an epic uh, of all epics in a way and he didn't really try to do another film of that genre again the ones he did later were not really epic talking about your jimbo or something like that it's quite different quite a different flavor so yeah i think that that film was sort of almost perfect and it that makes it quite hard to write about a film that is so perfect and is so universally loved I would say you know th- there are so many aspects to it and again there is a cyclicality in it you know it, it is a film again what you might call an, a humanistic film about how you can make a difference do something you don't have to do it Nobody's telling you to do it, but how about we do this? We do this. And, you know, some of us are going to die probably, but, you know, just let's do it for, for the sake of it. And that's what they do. Mm. So it, it's, it's got that existential commitment to do something that's dangerous that's going to cost you, and you know that, but you're going to do it. But there's another element be- as well behind that, which is, no, it turns out that the peasants, they're not great guys, you know. It turns out they've killed the samurai and hidden their armor. And some of the bandits used to be villagers. It's a little bit more complex than we thought. And one of the old men of the village says, well, you know, this happened 60 years ago. And what we did is we went and we hired these... Uh, these samurai to come and defend us. So you know it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. It, it's never going to end. There's always going to be another time when somebody has to do this, and somebody will do it. But it it won't be the end of the story. It'll happen again and again. So there's that cyclicality, which is you know a bit of a bit pessimistic. Things don't change. Human nature doesn't really change that much, but. We've got to do it no nonetheless so I, I th- that's the kind of philo- the, the philosophy of the film that I think is so exciting and moving as well uh, you know it, 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 it is extremely moving and particularly the end and that the, the peasants have won they always win <laughs> <laughs> so then the samurai lost because half of them are dead sorry if that's a spoiler.
0: Mm -hmm. To close out, I feel like when I was in my teens and 20s, Kurosawa was kind of in his, you know, his last big phase and he was very present. Everyone knew who, who he was. And I feel like now, at least in the West, that's kind of fading. Like, I think yours was the only contemporary book I could find, uh, Western. So I guess I'd, I'd say, do you have a pitch? You know, our, our podcast is all about, is it, worth, is it worth going back and watching some of these older things for a modern audience? You know, what would your pitch be for why someone who, who is younger and may not have seen any of these or know who Kurosawa is directly should go back
2: and watch these? Yeah, very good questions. What I would say is, firstly... Films like other arts, what constitutes a classic is simply what lasts. And the films that people are watching today, will they be what will people be watching them in fifty, sixty, eighty years time? Who knows, right? So, but that will decide whether they are classics or not. And I think we have got had cinema for long enough now to realize that there are some films that are classics, and can already be designated as such. And I would put several of Kurosawa's films in that category. You do have to, when you you know, when you're going to to films of that era, you do have to go and meet them halfway because they're not the same in terms of you know speed of camera work and things like that as the films are today, people are used to a much faster pace uh, of cutting mm. and action and, you know, sensation. You do have to meet that kind of film of that era uh, halfway. But what I would say particularly about Kurosawa is I think he is still very much there. The BBC did a poll of greatest films, non-English language films of all time. Of those, this this was quite an interesting survey because they chose critics, film critics, from many different countries. So they were from Nigeria, from Egypt, China, India, Eastern Europe, Latin America... Uh, Central America, all these countries. So they had 209 critics. Between them, they spoke over 40 different languages. So very different from just, you know, the Western critics. Of the top films, two of the top four were uh, Kurosawa films. That would be, um, as you would expect, uh, that was Rashomon and and, uh, Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai was the... Voted the the top film. This was in um, 2018, so it's not 2017. Sorry, it's not that it's not that long ago. There were two other Kurosawa films in the top hundred: *Ikiru* and *Ran*. So he's still, at least in the world of critics, and in the world, maybe outside the um, English-speaking community, definitely and maybe outside the sort of G7 rich countries, there is still a big constituency for um, Kurosawa's films. As I said before, that's probably because those people in many of these countries, many of these countries are troubled and there's a lot at stake in your daily life. So they're aware of things that can happen. It's not all about, you know, the biggest choice you make is not, whether whether you eat Italian or you eat uh, Vietnamese or you eat Chinese, you know it's you. If there are bigger bigger things going on in your life, like it or not, so I think that Kurosawa speaks to that dynamic because he's talking about big stuff. He's not talking, as I said, you know, he's not very interested in family life, sexual stuff, and. There's no irony. He's not into. He's never winking at the audience. He, you know, he's not into that stuff. You know, forget it. So, he's serious. Mm-hmm. Though I think he's he's entertaining. So it's it's never going to be. It's not art house film that he's doing. He's he was making mm-hmm. films for everyone, and you know the, the the Japanese public. And of course, he was also looking outside Japan for the cinema going public everywhere to a large extent he succeeded with that and i i think that his films will retain currency they have to this extent already and you know these these are films are they're quite you know 70 years old now uh almost so i think he is still there good, he's not good. gone away
0: great well, thank you so much for doing this, and I know it's very late where you are, so we appreciate your sacrifice. And this is just a great conversation. And we'll oh, yeah. we'll link to your website, and I'll just say again, I think your book is really in itself a work of art. So I'd, I really highly encourage people who have any interest to to check that out. Thank you, and we will now be, you know, seeing what we think of these films.
1: <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thank you very much. Enjoy.